Hi, I'm Matt Waller, Dean of the Sam M. Walton College of Business. Welcome to Be Epic, the podcast where we explore excellence, professionalism, innovation, and collegiality, and what those values mean in business, education, and your life today. I have with me today Mike Novogratz, CEO of Galaxy Digital. Mike, you were a partner at Goldman Sachs. You were with Goldman Sachs for 11 years. You were a successful executive at Fortress Investment Group. And you have pivoted to crypto in a big way. You're now an investor uh, and CEO at Galaxy Digital. From what I understand, Galaxy Digital is dedicated to digital assets and blockchain technology. Um, So this was a big pivot for you. Would you mind just telling us uh, a little bit about the backstory for that? Sure. My real focus or specialty was what you'd call macroeconomic investing. So macroeconomic investors take politics and economics and trends and try to predict where the world goes. And so we bet on interest rates or commodities, uh, equity markets, and when a friend of mine first called me and asked me what I knew about Bitcoin and I knew nothing, uh, I started researching it. And Bitcoin being really the first digital asset uh, or cryptocurrency uh, had all the properties of a great macro story. It is a scarce asset. It was a beautiful new technology and a great narrative uh, at a time when people were losing faith in central banks and traditional institutions, right? Bitcoin was born in 2008, 2009, right on the the tail end of the financial crisis. And if you remember the financial crisis in 08, people worried that JP Morgan was solvent and Goldman Sachs was solvent. And it was this distrust of centralized authority that came up with Satoshi Nakamoto's white paper. And it just made logical sense to me that there were groups of people that this would appeal to. Uh, Those were libertarians. Those were people that didn't trust the government, cypherpunks. And what was interesting at that point is the Chinese were were buying it. And I realized here's a story that is universal. Crypto was really the first global speculative mania. And even today, you know, Bitcoin is in 184 countries owned by over 100 million people. It's probably 11 years later, the single greatest example of building a brand within 10 years was something that's literally a line of code. And so it really caught the imagination. You know, by 2017, the story was so powerful, we had this cryptocurrency bubble. And at that point, being a macroeconomic investor, uh, it kind of played right into my hands. I understood the psychology. You know, great bubbles, great manias happen around ideas that are really powerful. And they usually happen around ideas that are true, that do change the way the world works. So if you think of the railroad bubble or the internet bubble in 2099 was unbelievably powerful and fantastic. And, you know, the NASDAQ traded to bizarre levels and then it crashed. Yet the internet more than lived up to the stories we were telling in the late 90s. Right? The internet changed everything about the way we live lives, yeah. from the way we find our spouses, to the way we vote, to the way we communicate, to even us doing this podcast. 
And so when I saw the crypto bubble, I really realized, listen, this is going to crash at one point because it's happening too fast. And, you know, everybody and their brother was launching their own cryptocurrency from Floyd Mayweather to Paris Hilton. And that doesn't make any sense. But underlying this idea of blockchain technology providing a new trust layer for businesses and, and institutions to build on top of and having digital assets as the world goes digital is going to change the way the world works. And so I started Galaxy with this idea that we would be a bridge between this kind of crazy cypherpunk crypto world, which was mostly retail, um, and the more traditional institutional investors, uh, that we would be both teaching the institution investors about this new technology, but also hopefully helping the crypto companies understand how the, the world operates. So Mike, what years, I mean, I know when I first learned about cryptocurrency and Bitcoin in particular, I heard people talking about it and I often didn't know what it was about. And so I found this podcast by a guy by the name of Russ Roberts and, and um, he has something called Econ Talk. He interviewed someone who had written a book about cryptocurrency. But you know, this is still a huge pivot for you. A lot of times people like that with those kinds of pedigrees don't make pivots like that. What what do you think it is about you that made you want to get into something as bleeding edge as this? Well, you know, I, I laugh. I, I often make the big pivots of my life after I screw up. Uh, and, <laughs> and, and, you know, out of the ashes, you kind of figure out how to, how to reinvent yourself. And, you know, I had left Goldman Sachs to Fortress, and that had been kind of a personal drama I went through. And Fortress, we had an amazing run an amazing company. You know, I was kind of ready to leave running a big hedge fund. My last year, we had some, you know, return troubles, not horrific, but it felt like it was the right time to leave Fortress. And I thought I'd start just a family office. I was lucky enough to have made a fortune. You know, I get a lot of credit for how much money I made in crypto, but to be honest, you know, we made a pretty big bet in Bitcoin in 2011, 2012, when Bitcoin was $95, $100, but it was not a large bet as a percentage of my net worth. And so I was lucky enough to have money to be able to put a big bet in and sit with it. Where I know if I had been younger, I didn't have as much money. You buy something at one and it goes to four and you're ready to sell the whole thing because you've just quadrupled your money. And so our, our genius, which was part luck, was actually not feeling we needed to sell it. You know, I did the same thing with Ethereum, which is, you know, I think a very interesting crypto as well. Maybe the, the future of I think the public blockchain. And, you know, I bought that at one. Again, lucky, I had a college roommate that was involved in the project. Uh, I went over to see him and uh, I was very inspired by what I saw. At that point, I realized that this blockchain revolution was actually a revolution, that it was fueled by people that wanted to change the way the world operated. And so I bought a bunch of Ethereum and it went up. And again, I made a whole lot of money on Ethereum and Ethereum went up a thousand times. And so I got lucky in a lot of ways. What I've learned in life is when you start making money in something, it really gets your attention. And so I started digging in and the more I dug, the more I realized that this really does have potential to, to make the world a more equitable place, to create systems that make sense, to protect our privacy. And I've lived in places like Hong Kong and China, and I've seen, the Donald Trump administration come in and do things that I would never imagine 
at what happened in America. Part of me says we do need systems that allow us privacy and protection from governments run amok. And so I was at a time in my life where I didn't think I was going to start up another business, right? I was 52 years old. I'd made a whole bunch of money. And though I saw this opportunity to work with young people and to have a role in the community, I'm like an unofficial spokesman for Bitcoin, you know, going on TV, explaining it to people. And so I figured there was a need, there was a purpose, and I got to be around young people with new technology. So within business schools, you know, we have a certain percentage that are really into Bitcoins and, and cryptocurrency trading them and things like that, small percentage. We have a pretty high percentage that are aware. Every year we have a, a, a hackathon through our Blockchain Center of Excellence that our partners, companies like Walmart, J.B. Hunt, Tyson, ArcBest, et cetera, will bring problems, challenges to the students. And the students in this hackathon work on blockchain solutions to those problems. And, and then we've got experts in blockchain technology, professors and so forth, that'll walk around and assist the students. Because there's a real tendency to go back to things that we're really familiar with and start using that kind of a paradigm in solving a problem. But uh, what do you think business students should be studying with respect to crypto assets, cryptocurrency, and even blockchain? When I think about blockchain, I think 15 years in the future, it will be ubiquitous. You'll see it everywhere and you won't notice it. In some ways, I'm a better storyteller up top. And when I get into the, the weeds, I'm like, damn it, we're building the back of the TV. And blockchain really is rebuilding what I call the back of the TV. It will, you know, in a, in a perfect sense, a public blockchain is a giant distributed supercomputer that processes and authenticates data. And there's hundreds, all the blockchains you've talked about most likely are private blockchains, right? corporations or, or, or trade groups saying together, we're going to put our data up on this blockchain that we have access to, but the whole world doesn't have access to. And so you've got private blockchains and public blockchains. And I think as a database technology and as a system of how we think about verifying data, holding privacy, showing what you need to show, every single company and every single system is going to be using some form of it. And so at least students should have an idea how, what, what blockchains are. You know, cryptocurrencies are a separate matter. There was a time to thought that all blockchains will get powered by cryptocurrencies and you will have these tons of cryptocurrencies for each and every idea that you could have. So you could have a cryptocurrency for your DNA. And I don't think that's going to be the way it plays out. I do think you're going to have Bitcoin, which is going to be like digital gold. Uh, and if, economies are nervous like they are today. More people will want to own something like gold or some scarce asset. I think you'll have one or two of these other protocols, which will build the base level of trust. And then I think central banks are either going to have their own digital currency or they're going to allow people to create them, but they back them. So in China, China's coming out with their own crypto, you, you know, renminbi. Uh, and in the U.S., I think the Fed is going to allow companies like Libra, you know, the Facebook subsidiary and others to build these crypto U.S. dollars where uh, they're backed by the U.S. dollar and held at the Fed. And so 
we'll go in a, in a world three, four, five years in the future where less and less cash gets used. It's just more efficient, uh, easier to, for taxes, quite frankly, easier for stopping money laundering and illicit things. And so we're, we're heading that way. And so our company, we invest in the infrastructure of that. And it would seem that every business school student should at least understand the story and understand where that technology is going. It's almost like if you were a business school student in 2000, you'd be kind of foolish not to understand the power of the internet. I think you have to understand that this is web 3.0. You know, me and you talked a little bit about putting resumes on a blockchain. And so it's a verified resume. You know, you can see something as simple as identity. When your 21 year old student goes to a bar, they get carded and the bartender gets their ID and it tells them that how much they weigh and their eye color and their address. Well, what if you don't want to give some scary looking bartender or, or bouncer your, your address because you're a 102 pound young, young girl that's nervous about giving the, the guy your address? You shouldn't have to. All that that guy needs to know is that something certifies that you're old enough to drink. So even something as, as, as basic as identity is all going to get put on a blockchain relatively soon. It seems like all of the regulators want to regulate it. They'll have different reasons for wanting to regulate it. Do you have any views on how that might shake out? One of the things, and I was, I was on the Fed, Federal Reserve of New York's Markets Committee, and so I've been around regulatory bodies a lot. I would tell you that regulators in general come from Wall Street. And what was interesting about crypto is it didn't come from Wall Street. It came from outside. And so regulators were really, really late to crypto. And they allowed all kinds of things that they shouldn't have allowed, where you know, a regulator's job is to protect the little guy. And we had a bubble in 2017 with lots of fraud, lots of fluff. You know, regulators get a D minus if you were going to give them a report card. And so then they say, okay, shit, now we got to regulate. And I think they've all been working very hard in the last two to three years, catching up and trying to understand this. They've had no problem with blockchains, none, zero problem, quite frankly. Uh, and with crypto, they are learning. So they have a lot, very little problem with Bitcoin anymore. Their one worry there is money laundering. And, you know, we were down at the treasury with the secretary of treasury recently, and the Treasury is now understanding, hey, with the right tools, having things on a blockchain is actually better for us, not worse for us. You're seeing the, the chill really thaw around uh, crypto. You know, crypto is a big word. It, it, it encapsulates a lot of things. A lot of the, the fraud in 2017 and the innovation was that allowed venture companies to raise money like that and, and, and to raise non-dilutive money. And that's where the SEC really cracked down and said, no, 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 you can't do that. If you're going to raise capital for uh, non-sophisticated investors, you've got to have some registration process. And most of the, the agenda from the regulators was around the ICO market and, you know, rightfully so. And so we're slowly starting to see crypto regimes be a little more friendly and come together. And I think every single smart regulator knows this is part of the future. So we need to help shape it as opposed to try to stomp it out. Well, as we're recording this, we're in the midst of the COVID crisis. And Mike, you know, as you know, there's lots of innovation going on right now as a result of this, this crisis, not only in, in healthcare, but in food delivery and all kinds of different areas. 
What do you think the biggest effect of this crisis is in terms of crypto assets, you know, in terms of uh, innovation, new use discovery, et cetera? So listen, I think this is going to accelerate the digitalization of everything, right? Including paper money, which is dirty and passes germs. And so why should we get paper money when I can just wave my phone? And so this is going to accelerate that movement. We've also seen interesting sidelights like digital assets, you know, a digital baseball card being the, the blockchain allows you to know that it's a unique thing, right? Because it's uniqueness that gives things value, right? If there were 500,000 Picassos, they wouldn't be worth that much. But since there are only a few, they're worth a lot. And so in, a, in the, the old days, you couldn't guarantee that electronic signatures couldn't be counterfeited, right? They all could. And so one of the great breakthroughs of Satoshi's paper was this was the first electronic signature that you couldn't counterfeit. And so you can have digital art or digital representations of a baseball card that's, you know, one of the most rare baseball cards. And now they're being sold in fractions. And so we're seeing fractionalization uh, accelerate because people are sitting at home and they're more nostalgia and they want to watch the old Michael Jordan videos. And so you probably could sell one one hundredth of Michael Jordan's jersey. And that didn't exist a few years ago. You're seeing these trends that accelerate a little bit, uh, but the big one is digitalization of everything. So Mike, for the students who are listening, who are interested in getting involved, what would you recommend? So I think there are two ways to, to, to get involved in, in the cryptocurrency business. One is if you're a coder uh, or a computer science guy or an engineer, you're going to help build the back of the TV set. I use, I love that expression because it feels to me like I like watching TV, but I don't really understand how the damn thing works. That doesn't mean you can't participate in the television industry or the crypto industry. The second piece is being in the front of it, understanding how to use the tools to help shape new businesses. And so I think almost every one of your guys, as they apply to a company, the company is going to have some crypto strategy, some blockchain strategy. There's not a Fortune 100 company out there, a Fortune 500 company out here that doesn't have a blockchain strategy. And so it's trying to keep whatever they learned from being on the internet, from your classes, from lectures in their mind as they look at what looks like, you know, an old school job, because there are no old school jobs. And so, listen, there are also, there are some smaller companies that are dedicated to the space, places like Coinbase or our own company, Galaxy. But mostly, I think your students are going to get jobs at, quote, normal companies, and you're going to realize that all these companies have a crypto and a, and a blockchain angle. Well, Mike, thank you so much for visiting with us today. That was really interesting. I deeply appreciate it. I enjoyed myself, and uh, good luck down there in Arkansas. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Be Epic podcast from the Walton College. You can find us on Google, SoundCloud, iTunes, or look for us wherever you find your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe and rate us. You can find current and past episodes by searching Be Epic Podcast, one word, that's B-E-E-P-I-C podcast, and now Be Epic. Be Epic.